0: Welcome to TNT with Teresa Quinlan.
1: And Reese Thomas. We are friends from across the pond on a life evolution.
0: We want to bring you topics that challenge your status quo.
1: Guests that help you think differently.
0: And nuggets of wisdom that spark being. Being what? You, authentic you. Hey TNT listeners, today we are welcoming back Cecile Peer. Our first episode with Cecile was our first episode this year, back in January, all that time ago, how much has changed. It was titled Live and Lead with You First. To tell you the truth, Cecile truly rocked our world. I mean, Theresa and I hung up and immediately turned to our DMing thumbs to express how mind-blown and heart-blown we both were with her straight speaking, her intellect, her accessibility her work and her passion and her heart of course so we just had to we had to I know we mentioned it in the the recording itself but we had to invite her back to talk with us there's so much more wisdom there to tap into and and so much more good stuff to share with our listeners so we'll include the formal introduction in the show notes because you know we've already told everyone how amazing she is we're just kind of desperate to to get straight into the conversation so before we hit record today we were tossing up a few ideas and Cecile has recently uh, released uh, her latest book, Human-Centered Leadership, and within that there's a principle in there which is um, about eight mindsets, and this is something that's particularly interesting to Teresa and I. We thought perhaps we could dive into that, uh, at least as a way of starting point, and as you know with our conversations, we'll just follow where the energy flows and see what comes through. Um, so uh, welcome Cecile back to the show, and um, please share with us a little bit about how this eight mindsets formulates part of the, the thesis for your for your latest work
2: hmm. thank you very much for having me back it's really lovely to see both of you uh, i feel the energy coming out of the vacation so it's really it's really mm-hmm. lovely it prepares me for mine <laughs> coming up in a couple of weeks
1: yeah.
2: um, and thank you for mentioning the book, Reese. I'm really proud of the Human-Centered Leadership book. It's a collaborative research study with Stanford University. Um, we have taken two and a half years to um, really go in and understand the leadership behaviors, the kind of mindsets, the kind of human attributes uh, leaders carry across 118 uh, fortune 500 companies um, and these are really interesting um, dynamics because a lot of what we have found is very basic but also it's very non-traditional uh it, it the, the, the things that we have sort of discovered inside these organizations i think you could find some of them in like greek philosophy i mean it goes way back, all all the way back to know yourself, um, sort of basic elements. And at the same time, when we look at sort of the majority of the work landscape and what happens within our work experience, they are nowhere to be found. So it's kind of interesting, I'm scratching my head to say, you know, how did we evolve as an organizational culture, and where are we? And is it a good time to sort of pause, reflect on our experiences, individual and collective, and perhaps start making some different choices, you know, exercising choices differently to discover, to create new realities for ourselves? So, yeah, I'm really proud of the book. I would be honored if people pick it up. Um, I'm really happy to. That we're talking about mindset because mindset is such a key to behavior formation um and i don't know where to begin so let me just start and then maybe you guys can sort of stop me and ask me some <laughs> some more specific questions i i um i think what leaders would want to know is that when it comes to leading large scale organizational transformations which is of interest to anyone especially at this period of time because the business landscape has shifted vastly there's a lot of volatility ambiguity and change in the context and a lot of organizations are looking to sort of renew if you will themselves and discover new ways of working that's of course all accelerated with covid 19 and A lot of organizations are going into hybrid work models and yet another layer of complexity, if you will. But when it comes to sort of leading these sort of large scale organizational transformations, many organizations that I know of anyway, start with what we would refer as a waterfall approach. It's a top down approach to change management. Um, It's something that has been talked about, that has been leveraged, that's still being preached by some of the big consulting firms. And I genuinely believe organizations buy this because this is what they know best. Mm -hmm. And I say this because I think we all know intuitively this top-down approach to change management just doesn't work. I don't know you guys, but I have never seen and I have worked with many of the large consulting firms and many of the Fortune 100s But I haven't seen any ex company come into a fortune 100 and like inject a different culture into the system, it just doesn't work like that. Um, and so I, I would love for leaders to consider the fact that they can save more time they can save resources by just acknowledging that this traditional waterfall approach doesn't really work well for mid to large large size um, changes. And and this is important because I think to understand why you need to work on the mindset, you need to understand organizations are fundamentally living human systems and cultures are very dynamic. It's really represented by a set of characteristic behaviors. So behaviors that we each demonstrate individually, but also at a team level and collectively. And culture really emerges through how we show up, again, individually, how we relate to each other in a team setting, and then how we do work together. And if we want our behaviors to evolve, sitting in a classroom and listening, you know, information for five, six hours really doesn't do it for us. That sort of learning, there's a, there's a name for it. It's a, it's a one-way learning, and it's really targeted at more the child, you know, teenage sort of development. For adult development, you need, if you're going to learn new behaviors, if you're going to learn new skills, you need contextualization, you need practicality, you need relevance, because as adults, we don't just sit and take in information when when that happens, we take about 10%, but then nothing really gets translated into behavior. So anyway, I, I love the focus on mindset because it introduces another possibility where you look at culture transformation inside out, it sort of starts with the individual it challenges the sort of beliefs assumptions mindsets we carry to learn new attitudes, to develop new ways of looking at the world, relating to the world as as an individual. And from there, hopefully we can, you know, start challenging some of our behaviors, maybe creating new habits for us. And then as a team, we can create some new routines and practices, et cetera. And then comes the organizational change. So it's sort of a slightly different approach. I said a lot, but let me just maybe pause there and see. If I'm making any sense.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're totally making sense and it gets me curious a little bit about eight mindsets and Mm -hmm. your research identifying these and so I'd love to hear more about the relationship between these categorized eight mindsets Mm -hmm. and how they show up in Mm -hmm. our workplaces Mm-hmm. And do we want all of them? Do we not want some of them? When, when we use them and we don't use them, do we want everyone to have the skill set to access all eight? Because, mm-hmm. you know, when we describe other things like, oh, uh, strength-based leadership has 34 signature themes, but your top five are these ones. So stick to these top five. Those are really good for you. Yeah. I'm imagining that how you approach mindset was a little bit different than saying stay pigeonholed and maybe a little bit more broad.
2: It is, it's a lot more broader than that. Yeah, thank you for asking. So we started when we were studying the organizations, we started by understanding if there are common behaviors that they were engaging in consciously or unconsciously that define the concept of leadership for them. So in the book, people will find there are five behaviors. So for example, one of the behaviors is um, leaders sit in all chairs meaning leadership is not a concept dedicated to a few at the top, despite your title, your tenure, your compensation package. Even if you're a fresh hire out of college, you are designated the inner power and people relate to you as a peer. So people relate to you for who you are and what you have to offer and within your scope, you have end-to-end autonomy to decision-making. So that's just one example. So once we sort of define those five behaviors, then we started saying, okay, but these are so basic. So why are people taking this approach and not that approach? Because it's so easy to be sucked into the ecosystem and 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 the commonality of, of you know, certain beliefs. Um, And and this is where mindsets came to play. And there, Teresa, there were so many, I mean, we were trying to make sense, like, is it this, is it that, you know, is it eight, is it (laughs) 100, you know, like, it's really hard to land, Mm -hmm. but we really wanted to put forward things that the mindsets that actually we felt we could really back up by the data and supported by the data and research and also that were pre-existing before our research. So there are other researches out there that speaks to the power and polarity of these mindsets. So we are not sort of the first crazy ones to say this, there's other work that people can explore. So um, I think people know what a mindset is, but generally speaking, you know, we define it as sort of a set of beliefs, if you will, or in terms of how you make sense of the world and even yourself. I, I think that's the best way to talk about it without getting too scientific or philosophical. And they do have an impact in terms of how our emotions formulate and also how our behaviors formulate. So they sort of sit in that spectrum of you know, starting with our senses, you know, taking in data into our body and having the pre-emotion to emotion to having your thoughts and then getting to the behavior. There's a continuum to behavior formation and they play a role in that. So if I could just maybe, you know, give you very quick overviews of sort of the eight, um, pairs, uh, I love, The first two, (laughs) and I hope I'm clear enough to articulate it. The first one is what we discovered inside these organizations, there is this caring mindset over control mindset. And when I usually mention this, I see a smile in people's faces because I think caring sounds really soft and wishy-washy to people but caring mindset is a scientific concept that actually pre-exists before our research. So what happens here is experience, and this is experience in life, experience at work, is defined by these micro moments of connection. That's what an experience is. And inside these workplaces, uh, when people had these sort of micro moment connections their experiences were vastly influenced by a sense of caring. So this came sometimes in the form of eye contact. Other times it was a simple question of how are you today? Um, other times it was actually, you know, making time to listen someone's, you know, issues, fears, questions. Other times it was getting curious. About you know someone's previous experience, trying to pull insight during problem solving. So there were many different ways in which people were um, presenting care, if you will, towards one another. Um, and this is really interesting because there's another concept that we talk about in the book. It's called virtuousness. It's essentially about um, you know people wanting to. Uh, showcase their integrity by walking their values. That's what it is. And the, and, and outside of our work, there's, a, there's a, a ton of research that shows correlation between when people are in a caring mindset, they not only become more virtuous in terms of honoring their values, but they also become an amazing role model for others to practice virtuousness too. So it's like there's this triple effect of caring inside the system. It's quite amazing. And the opposite mindset control is, I think, something we're much more used to. You know, this would be um, us feeling like we are in a position of knowing everything and wanting to tell everything and uh, it would be the, it would be kind of the contrary of everything. Like you get in an elevator inside the workplace, you're busy, you're on your phone, you're looking at your email and not like acknowledging the other person essentially. And again, these mindsets have very different impacts on the way people just show up as individuals, on the way they relate and formulate bridge relationships. And of course they have a, an impact on how the organization works as a whole. So that's one example. Um, So ask me more, Teresa. feel free to uh, stop me. But the second one I also love is abundance mindset versus scarcity mindset. And um, abundance mindset, again, it sounds like a mouthful, but this actually is about recognizing uh, there is enough in the environment and feeling naturally resourceful and creative towards whatever is available scarcity mindset I think we're very familiar with because we really I think for the majority of us grow up in systems across the world that sort of carry this mindset and there's somewhat of a competition at play almost like there's just not enough in the environment so I mean this could be a like if you have siblings, you may be looking at your parents and wondering, you know, am I loved more or them? Like, where is the love going? If you're within your uh, company of friends, you may be looking at someone's house, I don't know, someone's purse, someone's car and sort of making a comparison. And the same is true in the workplace, you know, leaders sort of look and think, okay, do I have the right sort of resources? Do I have the budget? And in fact, um, I recently tweeted about this because I had a work experience actually inside Takeda where we had a new leader in a new role. Uh, We had two, we had a recent reorganization and we had two new leaders where I had very clear clear and close exposure to. And one of them literally started the job and the set of meetings we got like three weeks following were all about negotiation you do this, I do this, like you get this resource, I get this resource. And I can't tell you how many loops of conversations that created for the um, interdependent group for the stakeholder group. And then the other leader was, I I mean, we had one meeting where they came in with clear purpose and said, this is how I see us evolving. This is my vision. What do you share here? What would you like to input? And we just agreed on direction. And then from there, you know, he tasked the teams and we never heard from him again. So it's so interesting when people with, you know, scarcity mindset come in, they almost spun up the organization with like all their fears and worries. And someone with an abundance mindset sort of has, you know, displays the confidence and has the belief that. No matter what, we will overcome this as a group. So let's focus on what matters. Let's focus on formulating a common purpose, common identity. And from there forward, uh, we can figure it out. So anyway, it's just very interesting. Let me again pause there
1: maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's was, was a lot of stuff in there, a lot of really <laughs> golden nuggets in there. I'm sure Reese is like holding on to something that is just like busting, waiting. <laughs> <laughs>
0: See what else is coming first. I'm holding back there. Sure, you have something bubbling away, Teresa.
1: Well, you know, there's a couple of things actually. In, I think the first one c- caring versus control mindset oftentimes when we work with individuals, leaders, organizations, the word trust comes up quite a bit right like how do we build more trust specifically how do I build trust with people And generally when we're talking about like trust is a byproduct. it's a byproduct of consistency and behaviors and actions that you do. So when you bring up like this micro moments of connections is so valuable. it's why I just want to put it on repeat micro moments of connections stack, to build a relationship that has trust at its foundation, but it's Mm -hmm. the reverse of building the house because sometimes we have to do the brick by brick by brick layering. And then put the, then the foundation appears underneath it as opposed to when we build a house, we put the foundation and then we structure the walls, but trust isn't one of those things that's just like, give it, demand it. It's there. It's visible. It's something that develops over invested time.
2: Absolutely. It's such an important point. Uh, Teresa, and I realized I didn't really give you the definition of caring versus control. So care, the sense of caring um, is defined as sort of um, degree of affection and compassion people feel that that is being expressed towards them. So, it, you know, when you and I are sitting in front of a computer and just having a chat like this—it's—it's it's the degree of affection and compassion I feel you may be expressing towards me, and you feel I may be expressing towards you. Okay. Uh,
1: Can, okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Stop. So earlier, when you started, you said that you were so surprised that a lot of what you witnessed was even things found in like greek philosophy so when you just said like the degree of affection and compassion that someone feels for you it popped into my brain of the four is it four love languages uh-huh. Maybe I the number wrong <laughs> right and i was thinking but wait wait a minute i would have to know how to speak their love language so that they can identify that what I'm expressing to them is affection and compassion because if if they don't know what my love language is and I don't know what their love language is and we're talking two different languages they're not going to be able to feel it Mm -hmm. and we talk about this in our household quite a bit in that look when I do this when I come down and I clean up the kitchen and I make dinner I'm like that's an expression of my love for you Mm -hmm. but my need for love, my love language is physical touch. I'm like, okay, well, I need to know that because I'm doing all of this thinking I'm demonstrating (laughs) love and you're not interpreting that as, and so that open communication of being able to understand Mm -hmm. what is it for the other person? And can I deliver on that for them is really an essential part of our mindset development as well. Exactly.
2: Yes, indeed. And there are great benefits to you know, carrying a caring mindset inside a work environment. Um, So in presence of a caring mindset, we recorded, for example, inside these organizations, workers experience lower absenteeism, especially in operational roles, less burnout, definitely greater teamwork and higher job satisfaction that's recorded through their employee engagement or employee experience surveys. And because of its measurable value companies like pepsico i've seen it with southwestern air airlines whole foods i saw um, two years back i think zappos i know they all explicitly include caring in their leadership principles there's probably many more these are the ones that i can just remember off the top of my head Um, so where companies have sort of dedicated researchers, IO psychologists looking into the sort of studies and understanding what works, what doesn't work. They're actually now starting to be more explicit about this, setting expectation with their people, with their leaders to say, these are important to us because they make or break our culture and we care to have a positive thriving culture. Makes sense. Um, And control, I didn't define that either. This is the degree of perceived regulation inside a given environment. Um, so it, again, there's perception at play here too, but it would be like, I go inside of a um, you know, team meeting room and everybody is quiet. Everybody's looking at their computer. It could be that they're just waiting for someone. It could be that they had a social conversation before I popped in. But my impression is everybody is quiet, everybody is keeping to themselves. I'm gonna question some, some things there, maybe a level of safety, maybe, you know, is this a speak up culture? Is it okay for me to be here? Um, and this is actually what we discovered in the study. A lot of the organizations that carry control sort of environments they're mostly compromised of conscious and unconscious policies and procedures. So my recommendation now to leaders in inside our company to make it, make it explicit, like mm-hmm. talk about what's okay and what's not okay. Because if you don't, and if you assume people know, you're creating space for interpretation, which may or may not settle with people. Um, and, and it's important because when we carry a control mindset uh, and we get in and we feel like, okay, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm safe. It has an impact on me. I tend to avoid my emotions. Our stress hormones get triggered. As you know, when we are in a state of fear and not only we become sort of more worrisome of what's going to come next, but potentially more resistant of change. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, in the extreme dynamics where, you know, everybody is in a control mindset. And I think we know this, we, many of us probably have experienced toxic environments, the kind of behaviors. This state can sometimes really manifest as actions of emotional abuse and power. I mean, leaders say things like, you have to do this because I say so. Well, excuse me, but nobody gets to tell anyone, you have to do this because I say so not in a household not no no nowhere you know I may be a little out there but it's not something I would expect or accept both as an employee or a leader mm-hmm. um, so anyway I'll, I'll stop there again but these dynamics are very interesting in terms of again how we show up how we perceive others to show up and the kind of dynamics the relational dynamics they create between the two of us or, you know, five, six of us.
0: Okay, so a couple of things come up, um, obviously, um, when the examples are giving here for, for no doubt for effects, there's a, there's a sense of duality there or, or perhaps a polarity is a better way of describing it. Um, how does one go from a controlling mindset to a caring <laughs> mindset because it's here all the way over here there's a very big gap between those and no doubt, not everyone is purely caring or purely controlled. And there's a degree of different things which we can build on or we can learn or we can imitate. Um, so that's the first yeah. thing we have to move from one to the other. And, and is it a slow process? Is it something that takes incremental change or can we have a radical shift? Does it inquirer a, a brand new leader, CEO coming in and just top down? It's it's another
2: it's another great question. So I love to think of these pairs as there's probably a place for both. Um, Some people label it very quickly like good or bad. And I worry about that a little bit because I'm not a parent, but I hear from my friends who are a parent that sometimes control mindset is necessary (laughs) and I believe it. (laughs) So I'm sure there are degrees in which we have opportunities to apply both. So I really don't want us to sort of label, you know, this is good, this is bad. I think it's important to understand that we have options. You know, as leaders, we are not always expected to know everything to control everything we can't really control people anyway I, I really dislike for example the word manager because of that because it gives the impression that we can manage people you can't manage people it's just not possible you can't even manage your children mm-hmm. work can be managed you can sort of divide and command and control that but people you have a chance to influence and that is only if you have the relationship to influence so anyway i i I like the dualities, Brice. I think what we want to offer to the world is that they understand their options and that they're choiceful about where they get to play because each choice has a different impact. And perhaps they'll exercise one more frequently over another because it creates a certain dynamic that works better for them for their culture evolution. Now, coming back to switching and mindsets, I wouldn't make it unique to this one particularly, but there is um, a practice in terms of how one shift any sort of mindset or or maybe pick out new mindsets, if you will, Uh, it's on a spectrum. So I can speak to that and um, this is probably going to go against some schools of thought, so you know feel free to challenge me if it's not in line with your thinking either, but first comes acceptance. Um, a lot of schools will say first comes awareness in my experience in 40 some years you can't gain awareness without acceptance It's like willing needs willingness, you have to have the willingness to see yourself. And the dynamics that you contribute to for what it is. Not to judge good or bad, but you kind of have to recognize how much of what how much of the reality that you participate in is really triggered by you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that acceptance for me is is really big and it's probably the first step. Then once you once you do acknowledge that, somehow, and this is the magic of life, it you start finding space for awareness you know you become more conscious of the experiences that's the space that gives you the nuances and you may say oh here I said this and it came back as this or I looked here and the person looked there you know you start sort of associating what's happening with the give and take and if you are still willing there is the third step around attention. You sort of have a heightened level of focus around maybe some of the, I call it pressure points, tension points, because some things come easy to us. For example, I think by looking away, I don't know if you realize even in this conversation, but when I'm looking to gather my thoughts, I look to the wall in front of me. So I look away to sort of like put my thoughts in order that's very distracting for some people. They think I'm totally disconnecting and going somewhere else. When I'm trying to go deeper, their impression may be that I'm coming out of it. Anyway, so finding, having the awareness with the nuances gives you opportunities to pay attention, to focus on things that may not come easy to you. So my, for example, uh, often, Effort is staying with the people so looking and trying to concentrate at the same time it's difficult, but you know i'm putting an effort there. And with time, as you start sort of practicing new ways of being comes what I refer to as mindfulness it's a very dirty term nowadays, especially inside workplaces, but for me mindfulness is really about sustained attentiveness. Because we think we go in like 15 minutes, meditate, and all of a sudden, I'm mindful. Well, try really meditating all day long while you're working (laughs) and keeping your harmony and peace inside while you're having problem-solving heated conversations with people. Like That sustained attentiveness for me is really key. And you will find once you get to that level, you're starting to embody the practice the new experience, so the new mindset in this case, and that will give you the concentration necessary for you to make the shift. It's just a biological thing. It starts a lot with the the heart and then sort of goes to the mind and then comes back into the body. And once you truly embody it, um, then it becomes a new way of being. This is my explanation, and, and I'm sure there are many other ways that I personally am not aware of. I hope this is helpful.
0: Perfect. Yeah. I mean, I, was, uh, I love the way where you took that, and, and yes, that idea of mindfulness. Um, for me, <clears throat> it's something that's important to me, and I I will take it a stage further, um, and say mindfulness in action is, is a loving awareness. So if I can be generating and radiating that loving awareness throughout my day not just when i'm meditating or not just when i'm on my own in a nice peaceful stress-free environment where it's easy then you know it's not really having any impact on me all the people around me and and you were talking about caring control and you kept asking you kept referring back to um, parenting and i was thinking hmm, that's really interesting because i'm sure there's you could be caring in a controlled way and you could also be controlling in a caring way uh, <laughs> particularly for myself when i'm thinking about that so there's always little nuances that we can um phase into or phase out of and, and take pieces of this and pieces of that. And I, I know we're probably going to run out of time to go through all of the eight mindsets. But one thing I was wondering was whether there was a kind of, um, <clears throat> a li- whether they were kind of a linear thing or whether there was a kind of, st- um, uh, what's the word? <laughs> a- do i go from having an abundant mindset can i then learn about having a caring mindset and, and wherever else we we're going to go with these other things is there is there a, is there a, a, a spectrum. yeah,
1: spectrum, yeah. like a spectrum. sliding scale of when once i know what it is what it looks like in action and how to demonstrate it then i can intentionally choose to use the skills to demonstrate that yeah. mindset which puts me in it basically exactly. yeah mm-hmm. love that mm-hmm. turn it on mm-hmm. turn it off <laughs> and anywhere in between, right? I could dial this one up or dial Absolutely. it down. A little bit of it reminds me of Daniel Goleman, um, his primal leadership and six leadership styles. And mm. two of the styles are commanding and pace setting. And those can be dirty or taboo words in the workplace as well as no, we don't like commanding and pace setting leaders. And like, sometimes you need that leader to be commanding. <laughs> And people want that as well, because when we're in uncertainty, there's nothing worse than a wishy-washy leader. Mm. But we need someone who can be decisive and can give the instructions that we're all waiting to hear. So we have some sort of semblance of calm and direction. Mm -hmm. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we also need that leader to be snapping their fingers and going, we're behind the eight ball and we need to pick it up. But this Mm -hmm. Um, perhaps where we get a little muddy in our own assimilation of all of this information, mindset, leadership styles, principles, and on and on and on it goes Mm -hmm. is that sometimes we believe we have to be one. Like I got to pick, I'm a servant leader. I'm a human centered leader. I'm a commanding leader, as opposed Mm -hmm. to thinking, these are all different principles, skills, philosophy styles. Let me just stick them all in my kit and learn how to use them when I need to use them.
2: Oh, I love so many things that you said. I don't know where to begin, Teresa. Um, human beings are really interesting. We try to categorize everything and starting with ourselves, it's, it's really interesting. We try to sort of box ourselves and say, this is it. This is, this is what I aim to be or, you know, this is what I'm going to practice or preach. And I love the multitudes and um, multiplicities of our character. I I just, I love the greys. There's so much life in gray zone for me. It's not black and white. I mean, I I don't know. I, I really wish that we could sort of discover underneath the gray, there's, there's a rainbow, like there are all kinds of colors. Um, and, and all of that is okay. there's no good or bad, you know, fashionable, unfashionable. I completely agree with you. I, I, I wish, I mean, if there's one thing I could give to leaders, it would be this like free yourself from the paradigms that have been created for us. We are not expected to be, you know, big, large, authoritative, wearing a dark suit, sitting in a particular title, driving a particular car, you know, having an answer for everything, controlling your emotions, you know, being a good partner. It's like, man, you can't really be all those things anyway. That's inhuman. <laughs> I mean, it's it's an inspiration. If people want to be all that, that's wonderful. But it's okay if you don't feel like you will. You you know you fit the profile. It's okay if you don't want to wear suits. If you want to be in your commerces to work, it's okay if you are more emotional certain around around other conversations. It's okay if you are you know primarily in one mindset, but you know you're wanting to switch to another. It's like all of that is okay, because the more we box ourselves and each other, the more judgment we're putting into the system. And then where is the humanity in that is my question. Mm-hmm. We just kind of lose ourselves. I don't know. Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah, I agree. How- I was talking to someone the other day and she was in a similar situation. We were talking about labeling, we were talking about um, she was feeling guilty or she was feeling you know uh, a sense of judgment on herself and also from externally that you know she wanted to be in this box she was happy being she felt comfortable in it and I was saying well if that's the way you feel then that's 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 okay like don't don't um be be self-compassionate with yourself as what I was trying to tell her but it's okay to be in that box but what, what I, I gave to her was just that if you're in that box just make sure you paint a few windows in there or, or leave a few open spaces so that even though you're very um, safe and contained in in your principles and your uh, values, whatever it might be, this multitude that you talk about, this openness, this huge toolkit that we can draw from, um, as long as we don't completely close ourselves off from those possibilities, um, it's okay to live more or less frequently in, in a certain box, to use your words. Um, and I think that's really <laughs> important, especially when it comes to mindset. I think people can get too, um, pre, too pre-obsessed with the idea of this is me, this is my mindset, and I have to stick to that. Whereas you, we've, we've already covered, you said there was over a hundred, it was hard to, to reduce them down to just a few eight. And, and maybe to go back to the other thing you said, this kind of rainbow effects where there are all these multi-different colors. And if you can tap into all of those things and being able to know when to draw on the yellow, when to draw on the blue, and not always supposed to be like, yes or no, you can just have that ambiguity and also learning to be uh, comfortable in that Um, and knowing when to push the pedal and when to pull back and when to turn left and when to turn right and being comfortable in that uncertainty. And I think that for me is the most important thing for a new leader to learn is to be okay with that um mindset uh, um, it's
2: the essence of authenticity isn't it i mean we were talking yeah. about abundance over scarcity mm-hmm. most of us embrace mm-hmm. the mindset of scarcity again because we grew up in those systems right like at school, you had to sort of differentiate yourself from others and um in the workplace it's the same and we have sort of grown a definition of success that's shared you know, beyond boundaries, beyond industries, companies. And we think when we see someone who's made it to the top, whatever top means for us, you know, they're in a leadership role in a traditional, you know, sense, um, or they have, you know, they've become a corporate vice president somewhere and they present themselves well, we think they are high up only because of their intelligence and their hard work. They must have worked really, really hard to get to where they are and they must have very unique skills. Um, And that sort of labeling really does us disservice to all of us, not just to the person, starting with the person actually. (laughs) They probably have a variety of life experiences that sort of put them where they are. And is it good or bad for them? Again not for us to judge right like ask a lot of people who make a ton of money have really flashy titles and they would actually exchange their lives in a heartbeat with with some of the other people so just because you are somewhere doesn't mean you're actually content with your position but it also does disservice to us because it sort of undermines our capability and our capacity and sort of differentiates us in, us in place of like them versus us. And the really funny thing about is, is, is all of this, this sort of labeling, there's substantial evidence that categorizing people actually creates more bias in how both those people are perceived and how those people perceive others. So when we categorize ourselves we are actually more prone to bias, both ourselves, but we also pull them into bias. <laughs> um, so just to put it another like most of us in power positions tend to believe in our version of reality in absolute terms. So when we say to someone, wow, you must have worked really hard and you must have a very differentiated intelligence that got you there, they start to believe that. <laughs> they start disconnecting from their reality, from their own experience, their walks of life, and so yeah, it's very interesting this phenomena um, of like how we actually end up putting ourselves in a loop, and then you know this definition of success again becomes sort of a go-to place for all of our children. One of the data that we put in the book, I'm not going to remember exactly from top of my head, but um it's a global data like certain percentage of high school students much rather become rich over becoming compassionate and it's something like 70 percent of them much rather become rich over becoming a compassionate individual to me that says so much more about the system that we have created over the last 100 200 years and who we are today collectively than anything else. If our children think of success as getting to a certain place and having millions and flying a private jet, boy oh boy, are they ready for an experience. (laughs) I hope that experience makes them happy, but it's certainly not a guarantee. And for the majority, when they get to that place, they say, this is it. This is what I worked for. This is what I gave my help. My, my, my family. This is, this is why I missed my children's first steps. I mean, that, that's what I hear from leaders. It's not a lie. I am an executive. I'm a corporate vice president in a company. So I share some of these experiences myself. I know how people feel. It's too bad that we have these stories that we have created and we believe in, and they totally disservice us. I don't know. I'm going to stop again. I'm my
1: soap opera. Now I'm going. <laughs> I love it. The animation of your hands. That feels so home <laughs> in the Italianness ness of it, which I think loops so lovely back into your, your three elements that you had addressed earlier, like acceptance. So acceptance that we are part of the experience that we are in. So we're contributing in a way to what that we are experiencing. And then the awareness is our ability to pay attention to how the cues of like, how we are actually contributing to our experience, because what we will find is that a lot of what we're experiencing is because of what we're doing. Mm. But we might be telling the story of, oh, it's happening to me. Mm. It ain't happening to you. It's happening because of you, which Mm. enables us, if also we're willing to take a different action and um evolve because we see evolve as moving forward from where we are Mm -hmm. love that that was there are so many bits and pieces of this conversation that i think listeners will be able to come back to and and, and capture a nugget that they can then take with them and say, mm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to even just give this caring control spectrum a little bit of a look at mm-hmm. when am I doing the micro doses of connections with eye contact? Maybe I'm going to try to up the ante on that a little bit. And when might I be able to actually use that control mindset in an upcoming project? And let me see if I can enable a tool that I can use that's really successful on this sliding scale. Um, So thank you so much for sharing that. And of course, listeners, you're going to want to find out what the other mindsets are. (laughs) So be sure to pick up human-centered leadership and dig into the content that's in there and assimilate that into your leadership practices. So before we get into our rapid fire Q&A, (laughs) oh, yes, people are going to want to find out best ways to be in touch with you or find more of your material and content.
2: Thank you. I think um, LinkedIn is probably the best way to connect with me. I I have to apologize in advance. I have always been incredibly responsive and the last few months I have been less responsive. I do, but it takes me two weeks or three weeks to get back to messages. Um, but but I'm there and I am connecting when I can make time. I'm just not as active as, as I used to be. There's just a lot for me to contribute to at work. So that sort of takes away my focus. Um, but LinkedIn is great. Twitter is also great. I try to tweet just whatever comes to my mind actually uh, on a regular basis. So it's not one of those big and flashy uh, Twitter walls, but if people are just looking for inspiration from now and then I would also welcome welcome them to, to follow me there and I try to follow people back so um,
1: yeah yeah those, those nuggets, are nuggets of inspiration like are fantastic. It. Good. Thank you so much for that. Okay, are we ready for the rapid fire q&a <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I questions. Number one, which emotion catches you off guard most often. I think the first
2: time we we talk I said anger because it was nowadays it's more sadness Mm. I find myself feeling sad and then I I say okay I, I really I need to snap out of this now like I can't stay here it's okay that I'm here and I'm connected to the emotion but I need to understand what it's sort of signposting to me and then move on. I think it's been really tough for everyone with the COVID-19 and coming out of the lockdowns and going back to the lockdowns. And I think that emotion is surprising me nowadays. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So you alluded to it a little bit. What do you do to regulate that emotion in the moment?
2: Mm. So I have a practice, it's a really silly practice, don't judge me for this, but I I go uh, outside of my office space, usually to the terrace if the weather is good, otherwise to the living room and I lay on my back. I lay flat on the ground. I don't know if when I was in my mother's tummy, I was like not with enough space, but since childhood that does something to me, especially when I'm sad, it really helps me to sort of diffuse the emotion and I'll think about okay why am I sad what is this really pointing to me in terms of my value you know what what is it that's missing from the environment and, and then I'll, I'll get up it's sort of like a five, 10 minute practice and it got me into trouble in many of the corporations I have to say that at Microsoft it was okay because uh it, we all were weird if I could use that word you know like we were all bizarre but then I came to know to several years later and I was like laying next to my desk and my boss pulled me aside and he's like, you know, you really shouldn't do that. People think it's weird <laughs> that you're laying on the floor. <laughs> so I have, a
1: question. I have a question. When you experience sadness, where do you feel it in your body?
2: It's usually right below my heart, actually.
1: So I wonder if lying down, because normally when we're sitting a lot, we slouch. Uh, and it, maybe. And, and, it, and it just closes off that chakra. So I wonder if when you lie down, it opens the chakra and allows you to move the energy. Oh, that's I'm Just a great wondering mission. because my, my emotions get stuck up in my throat and I also lie down, but I have to put my head like over the bed Oh, to open up my throat chakra and oh. I can feel the energy start to move. But then I also have to take an action, which is generally I have to talk to somebody because when it's stuck in my throat, it means I'm not saying something
2: you need to express it. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, Okay, question three. That was a beautiful little journey there. What's next? (laughs) What's next in your personal evolution?
2: In my personal evolution? Boy, uh, okay, I think I mentioned when last time we were together, I purchased something for my mom in Turkey, or I was looking for a, a house. So that that purchase has happened. And it's something that something more than what I wished for. I was looking for a small apartment. I ended up getting a very small, but nevertheless house with a garden inside a tiny village. And I started wondering if I could spend more time there and write more. So it's something that I started slowly communicating to my company. Maybe I started exercising work from there a couple of months of the year and slowly, slowly, you know, diffuse out. So that's what's happening with
1: me. Mm -hmm. Reese's physical response to that (laughs) was just like the kind of the exhale, like, ah, that sounds lovely. You
2: guys are always welcome with (laughs) your cameras too. So we don't have a lot of space, so we may just have to put you up in rooms. But nevertheless, you are- I
1: could sleep on a floor.
2: Super, welcome to (laughs) visit.
1: (laughs) Okay, number four, when your best friend is having a meltdown, what do you say to them? (laughs)
2: Uh, I still say get over yourself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can be very helpful. Yeah. Um, And then number five, in this moment, what are you most looking forward to? Or most hopeful for?
2: Mm, I'm really looking forward to my summer holiday. Um, I will have an extended four weeks vacation this year Um, and you guys know this but we have had some health issues in the family I'm really really looking forward to quality connections so um, I leave it at that if Mm -hmm. you're going to send me some prayers send it to me there that family members are including myself able to give and receive love I think that that would make the quality <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. thank you so much for being with us again today and sharing some really insightful pieces of both yourself and your work it's greatly appreciated
2: thank you for having me i really love you guys i love the work that you do for the world when i'm on linkedin i'm always looking at the videos and conversations as i mentioned it's less nowadays than more but thank you for
0: everything you do thank you for coming back thank you for sharing more i for one i'm still hungry for more maybe this there'll be a part three at some point maybe mm-hmm. in the year, in the beginning of next year again um <laughs> there was one thing that you told us that Teresa particularly loved last time you set yourself a word i think it was for each year and we were going to talk about that and i want so maybe we'll wait till january and we'll find out what the new word will be for uh, 2022 and
2: I would love that, like a Christmas episode
1: <laughs> or before,
2: before holidays episode.
1: <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of TNT.
0: Please share, subscribe, rate, and review.
1: And when you're ready for your personal evolution, check out Reese at trueselfcoaching.com.
0: And for your emotional intelligence revolution, check out Teresa at iqeqtq.com.